welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So blessed. I just love the worship and the creative innovations with the bluesy rap kind of thing and then the the song in the round. Better than Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. I was I was thinking this this is awesome. All the men and the women doing the parts and all that. It's just fantastic. And Amy, great linguistic intellectual communion word there. I thought I was at university for a second and then you know, then I felt better. That's good. <laughs> Wonderful. I want to share, um, you'll be pleased to know, something from the Bible. Uh, sort of mix it up a bit. Um, I really can't think of a more important message and um, I feel uh, kind of uh, that you would catch God's heart in, in this message and um, I'll just start by saying this week, yes, I was working around the house. Ruth was away for a couple of days and I thought I would surprise her because we thought we had decided on the wall colour that we were going to paint the entire house with. So we'd done the sample pot thing and everything, so I went and bought the, you know, the big $200.15 litre thing of paint and took a day off and worked nights, painted and painted and painted, only to be told it's maybe not quite the right colour. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, it's not her fault. It's not you, it's me. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's exciting. But, you know, while I was painting, there's no one else around and I had the TV on in the background because the World Athletics Championships are on and... Uh, I could paint and, and just listen and listen, and then I could just stop and watch the final and see, you know, and it worked out well. And, uh, but the unusual thing was that I heard ads on the TV for the first time in years, because I guess like you, I'll just mute the ads or fast forward because I've recorded a program before and never watch ads. But here I've got all these ads going on, and I'm painting away, and, I'm li- and I was shocked because all the ads were about me. It was all about making my life better. It was just just so focused on me wanting to find a product that would make me look good and feel good and and focus on on just my life. And in fact there was one that I thought, oh, here's a shift. It's about others. It was a funeral plan. Don't leave it for your family. Give them the peace of mind that when that time comes, things will be sorted. And it was about investing in money so that your family won't have to pay for your funeral. I thought, well, there's a bit of a change. But sure enough, it came back to me because it said, but if you change your mind, you can withdraw money at any time. And I thought, oh, so it's all about me again. And I was just really realised that our society and our ads really focus on our selfishness. And, and, and feeds off that desire to, 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 for me to make my life better and, and not really... And look, there's nothing wrong 
with buying that new car that you hear advertised, especially when it's going to change your life. Like I, I heard this ad with the, this has arrived, it's going to change your life. I thought, what is it? I can't see the tear. I'm thinking, what is this? Is this second coming? Jesus coming. Oh, it's the Ford Escape. Or, you know, it's like, no, the Everest, that's right. Achieve higher. And uh, so, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong. Get a new car, buy that new gadget, you know, get, get the shampoo that apparently will take years off your appearance and bring back the bounce and glow that I thought I wish I'd taken note of that one. Um, should have listened a little harder. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with stuff and, you know, being blessed, but should it really be our main priority in life? Uh, just focusing on what I want, what I need, what I think is important for me to enjoy my life. And I just feel like that's not just what I'm here for. And um, because the thing is, while I'm pursuing what I want for myself, I keep bumping into these things. There's lots of them. And when I say things, I mean people. (laughs) There's a lot of other people, not just me. And uh, you, you realise there's thousands of... There's, there's 8,000 people just in Narara, just this little suburb where we are right here. There's 350,000 people around the Central Coast. That's about 100,000 more than when we first arrived 20 or so years ago to start this church. There's 24 million people now in Australia. There's over 7.5 billion people in the world. In fact, since I started speaking, we've got about 500 more people that have arrived on earth for a second, 250 people a minute. And God loves them all. God loves all these other people. And yes, he loves me and he loves you. But as much as he loves me and wants to bless me and help me enjoy my life, I've got this funny feeling that he wants those who already know him to help those who don't yet know him find out about him because he loves them all not just the ones who already know him and so it's and you know it's not just my feeling (laughs) that it's it's a good idea to reach out to people it's clearly God's will because when you read your bible you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus while he's here on earth and he really did love people all kinds of people And he didn't just arrive and kind of teach from a distance or hang out with a select few or minister just to this group of society or, no, he, he just loved everyone and he showed that love to everyone and hung out with everyone from all different walks of life. And when he left, of course, he didn't take that love with him, but he left the love through the Holy Spirit to be in his disciples, his followers and to work through those disciples so that people who haven't yet found him will find out about that love and uh and so jesus has done all he can and now the task is with us and so look at these scriptures to remind us uh matthew 28 and uh the end of the book of matthew this is matthew recording the ministry of jesus and right at the end the last few verses he wrote this Jesus came to the disciples and he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice the word go. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then you read the book of Mark and he similarly records the words of Jesus and he said, go, there it is again, into all the world and preach the good news to everyone or the gospel. To everyone, if you've got a more traditional translation. And anyone who believes and baptised will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Isn't that interesting? There's a kind of a refusal to believe in our prideful humanity. That I think you need more faith in, say, evolution versus creation or man's ways versus God's ways. There's a, there's a refusal to, to believe in God. There's... There's an acceptance of what is right when we believe in God. And he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new tongues or new languages. They're able to handle snakes with safety. <laughs> we had a python on our roof last night, uh, right where you can just reach up and, and uh, there's the gutter and it's low as you approach the house and there's a python right there. And uh, we had uh, like big five foot thick fat, you know, and we had one once before and my neighbour came over and I thought he would grab it because my neighbour's a tough guy and he's a black belt in taekwondo and he said, I'm not touching a snake. And I went, oh, all right, well, I'll give it a go. So I remember reaching up, putting my hand and as I touched the snake, he screamed. I don't know why he screamed. I'm the one touching the snake. But that really freaked me out. So I go, and he goes, ah, and I go, ah. So I let go and then the snake slithered away. So it may be... Peter Python, the same guy, come back three years later. It might be the same guy because there he is again. So I'm thinking, well, I'm not even going to try this time because it was freaky enough. I don't even need the neighbour to scream. So I rang Andrew and I said, Woody, do you want a free snake? He said, and I didn't realise. He said, it's completely illegal to have it. I thought because they collect, they've got snakes as pets. So I can't just have it. It's a, na- it's a native animal. You gotta, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. He said, but I'll come and get it for you if you like. But he said, really, you're better off without it. I'm sorry, he said, you're better off with it. No rats. You're right. We haven't heard any rats for a while. Okay, fine. So we've got a snake hanging out, and um, and he said, "No one's freaked out by it." Ruth was fine. You know, Bethany came home later. That was a bit different. I said, "Beth, there's a snake." What? You know, I said, "It's only in the roof." Well, well, can it get down? Um, Not as far as we know. Anyway, um, snakes. If they drink poison. Uh, where am I up to? I'm looking for the passage that says, Jesus, if they, uh, if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. And uh, you can get, you know, Chernobyl radioactive laced watermelons for your baby children in Russia and they'll survive. And there they are. there's one of them at least. Close in the dark. Turn the lights off. Um, and they'll place hands on the sick people and they will be healed. Praise God. And we see that all the time. When the Lord Jesus finished talking to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the place of honour at at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them or worked with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And then one more verse, two verses, Acts 1 verse 8 9, again, just before Jesus leaves, Luke records these words, Jesus speaking, and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he did, a chapter later, you read about the day of Pentecost, and you will be my witnesses, everyone say witnesses, 
telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. They could no longer see him. So these passages refer to, of course, what we call the Great Commission. And as you've probably heard it said before, it's not just a a good suggestion. It's a great commission. Because Jesus didn't just say, guys, I've got to go. There's something I was thinking about. It's not that important. Oh, I know. Um, Look, if you've got time, I know you've got a busy schedule, but look, I love people and I've done my bit and I've got to go. But if you could possibly just tell people about me because I could really change their life and they won't go to hell and they'll go to heaven. But I know you're busy, so just see how you go. Look at, you know, he didn't kind of just leave it as a, an optional, look, it's not that important thing. No, no, he left it as a charge, a calling, a commission. And not just for these initial disciples, but for every person that says, yes, I'll be a follower of Jesus. I'll be a disciple of Jesus. I will go and he will work with me just like he did with these guys. And so, uh, you know, this term commission, it's a, it's a big deal, but it's a good deal. People get commissioned for all kinds of things. You know, artists uh, get commissioned to produce works of art and they've got this talent and then they're able to work on something because they've received some commission. They get paid some money from an organisation or an individual and say, I want you to do this kind of work and here's some money for it. Great. Receive a commission. Um, uh, The government appoints people with authority to be a commissioner, like Ruth's sister-in-law was the commissioner for sex discrimination for many years. And she was, um, you know, given wide-ranging powers from the government to try and give everybody a, a fair go and make sure it's level playing field. And, and officers in the armed forces, they receive a commission. You become a commissioned officer because you've got to lead your troops, serve your country, uh, you know, protect your country... And they're important commissions, but you know what? None are any more important than the great commission that Jesus himself has given to every single person in this room. And, and, uh, you know, he calls us not just to be blessed. It's so awesome following him. You know, if if you've been following the Lord for a while, you look back and you realize, wow, all the dumb things I've done that he's fixed up or all the blessings that he's brought and all the ways he helps us and all that. But of course, we're not just to follow him to be blessed, but to follow the example that he gave us when he was here on earth and to bring that blessing to other people, to love and to reach out. And, um, and that's why it's a key part of our church mission statement. You know, we talk about reaching up to worship God. And, and we do that here, obviously, with music, but our whole lifestyle. We talk about reaching in, love, training, making disciples. But we also talk about reaching out with the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And so I just wanted to revisit that this morning and, uh, and, and think, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like for our church at this point? Uh, and, you know, let's face it. If someone starts talking about reaching out, evangelism, soul winning... I'm guessing that some of us probably feel a little sense of awkwardness or pressure or guilt or dread or, ah, oh, that's not me or I find it difficult or, you know. But honestly, I don't believe it should be that way because when we're led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, things can be wonderful and exciting. And that's what it was for those guys. You know, Jesus said, 
you know, I'm going to be with you. Go and I'm walking with you. And the disciples, it said that he worked with them and they, they saw miracles confirming the preaching. And, uh, and they, I think, would have just been on the front foot of excitement. Uh, you know, the commission people, if an artist gets commissioned, they're blessed. They're, they don't feel bad about it. You know, you go back in history and look at all those great composers of classical music. Half of them were poor as, scratching around, and then some prince or count would come along and say, here's a few thousand francs, come and hold yourself up in a few rooms of my castle and knock yourself out, and a few months later I want you to, you know, I want to show off to the rest of Europe some great symphony. And so they're, they're scratching away and got all the music in their head and, you know, ah, and then months later there they are in the, you know, Salzburg Opera House. Ah, and they've been blessed and paid to do what God's gifted them to do. And they're, they're pumped, they're excited. You know, when Hudson received his commission to be an officer in the army, he didn't say, oh, what am I doing? What a drag. I wish I was surfing on the coast. So he stepped up. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Full on. I'm going to, you know, be part of my nation's security. And, and that's a cool thing. When we used to, well, we still do hang out with Ruth's family, but when Lizzie, the, the, the sister-in-law who was the commissioner, you know, you'd hang out at Christmas time and you ask everyone, how's the job? How's your work? You know, and some people are like, oh, yeah, you've know, been going to the office, so-so. You ask Lizzie, oh, yeah, what have you been up to? Oh. Well, I've just got back from a tour around Australia, meeting with all the Indigenous leaders, working out how we can help them, and then I'm talking to the Prime Minister about that tomorrow, and the next week I'll be at the UN. And I, I was like, wow, okay, you seem to be enjoying your commission. You know, she's living a great, exciting life. We have the greatest commission. We've been commissioned with the greatest, most important, most exciting task of all. As I said, Jesus his, himself is with us wherever we go. I don't know about you, but I find when I'm with the Lord and I know he's with me, anything is fun. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't matter what you do, without him it can be boring and scary and weird and wrong and sinful and awkward and useless and wasteful and and with him things are awesome, things are meaningful, things are exciting, things work, things make a difference. You know what I'm saying? And so when he says, I'll go with you, if you fulfill the Great Commission and I'll go with you, I think, well, that's where I want to go. I don't want to go, well, all right, you might be going over there, but I've got a great, I'm going to go over here. Well, you go over there, Jack, all by yourself and see how you go. You know, it's, it's just not as good as going with the Lord. And, um, and uh, you know, life just doesn't get any better than working with Jesus, walking with Jesus. And that brings real joy. We're talking about joyful there's a there's an irony in life, you know, where people are seeking happiness and it's and clutching away, never grabbing it, you know. And yet we seek the Lord, seek his kingdom. All these things that we're wanting, they all get added along the way. So three things practically that each of us can attend to and do to fulfill the Great Commission. First one is our personal witness, obviously. Sharing our faith. This is reaching out locally. And this is why we talk about weekly witness we've been talking about this for a while now a meaningful conversation something that we can say in some way sharing our story our faith in God and of course it could be all day every day but when we say weekly witness we figure that usually in the course of the week 
if you're looking for it, you'll find at least one really good opportunity. Sometimes it's a really good opportunity. Sometimes you might actually sit down and lead someone to the Lord. Or maybe it's a way back from that, it's just sowing a seed. Maybe it's just interjecting in a conversation with your Christian viewpoint in a respectful, diplomatic way. Or maybe someone really opens up or maybe you just have the opportunity to step in and you invite them to church or give them a tract or you show them that women's thing and say, listen, why don't you come to the... There's, there's always opportunities if we look for them, doors that open up. And um, it's, you know, the personal touch. It's all about people. You know, when I was a teenager, I had never been to a church service and I had no intention of ever going either. Um, I used to see the family across the road going to church on Sunday mornings and one of the guys was my age. I went to school with him, the Brews, the Brew family. And, you know, I just felt sorry for them. I just thought, oh, they're getting in their car and they're going to church, man. And I was loading motorbikes on the trailer, going to ride dirt bikes. And, uh, and everything changed when a friend of mine came to me and told me that he had become a Christian. That was the difference. You could have invited me to all kinds of things. I could have heard. I could have watched stuff on TV. But it was the friend that looked at me and said, Jesus has changed my life. You need him in your life. And that was authentic. That was, you know, unmistakable. That was just, I couldn't argue. I, I knew this guy. You couldn't dismiss it. You know? And so soon after, I'm praying a prayer of commitment, giving my life to Jesus. And I'm guessing that that's a similar story for a lot of us, that someone shared their faith with you, some personal witness, some testimony of what God had done in their life, and the light goes on in our heart and our head, and, ah, you know, we give our lives to Christ. And Now, of course, as a church, you know, we do what we can organisationally. You know, we run services that are open to the public and we've got family fun day and Christmas carols and fun events and things that we, we want people to feel open and welcome to come. But, but not everyone's just coming. A lot of people aren't just looking for church on a Sunday morning. They're not in their mindset. Um, and, of course, we've got programs that are reaching out as much as we can. So we've run parenting courses and marriage courses and, you know, we've got Leah and others doing a great job helping the Women's Refuge and um, we're going to get some people trained to run a, a money management program that we'll launch later in the year that's organised by the Christians Against Poverty organisation, CAP, money. Uh, and so we can do these programs and we do, but they're, never as, they're only as good as the people behind them. Right? You know, all the any organisation is only made up of individuals all collecting around a certain ideal, and and that's that's us. So the effectiveness of the of the church's outreach is is always going to be based on our passion for the Lord and our authentic faith. Yeah, uh, and so you know, we don't just rock up, pay our tithe, and hope that the church, whoever that is, does the work of the ministry and the reaching out. It's it's on us. But as I said, it's not a it's not a bad thing. It, it's an exciting thing to be able to share our faith. So that's sharing locally. Secondly, I wanted to just to remind us of our global vision, that we can all be part of reaching out globally beyond our own community because Jesus called us to go into all the world. And that doesn't mean you're going to get on a plane and you know be a Christian tourist and travel everywhere. And I've seen plenty of that where people think they're missionaries, but they're really just 
Christian tourists and stamping their passport and then handing a tract out to people and thinking that they're, they're awesome, you know. But we, we can partner with people who know what they're doing, who can really impact and, and change lives in different parts of the world. And again, we've done that over the years as a church. You know, I see Tony years ago went to the Philippines to help build a church building out in the sticks in the Philippines a long time ago. And we've had lots of missions trips that have been helpful to people in different parts of the world. Byron and other young people, you know, built houses in Mexico and we've done a lot of training and teaching in Thailand and Russia and in Vietnam. Ruth and I helped run a marriage conference at the end of this year in Vietnam and thanks to many of you here, we've got pastors coming from all over the country to that. But there is one project that's coming up that I want us to consider and all of us can play a part of it and this is through the Compassion Organisation. And we've got a special day in October on the 22nd. We've got David Harrison, who's the Regional Director of Compassion. He's going to come. We'll do a Compassion Day and a launch of a project that is starting up in the northeast of Thailand. And we've got a long history of missions work in Thailand. And they're inviting us to have people within our church to sponsor children. And I'm guessing you know how Compassion works. They've got nearly 2 million kids around the world sponsored. Costs about $40 a month. Fantastic program. 80% of the funds always go to the projects and the individuals on the ground in the other countries and um, only 20% for administration, which is a pretty good ratio. And, in fact, I'll show you a video just of... We will not show you a video. One day we're going to show you a video. All right. Perhaps next week we're going to show you a video um, that, that will just highlight. Let me just say this about missions work. Um, let me just read a little excerpt from an article about missions work because um, I think sometimes people feel like, oh, missionaries, you know, the day is gone um, and, and Christians should be very careful about imposing their values on other cultures and, you know, maybe aid in a physical, practical sense can be useful but, but not this proselytising business and the spiritual... Well, this is a fascinating article that was written a few years ago by an English journalist for the Times, UK, Matthew Paris. What's interesting is that he's writing about missions work in Africa, but he's an atheist. And the article is entitled, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. And the subheading is, Missionaries, Not Aid Money, Are the Solution to Africa's Problems. He wrote this, recently I returned to Malawi in Africa, the country that I grew up in as a boy. The charity Pump Aid helps rural communities to install a single pump, sorry, a simple pump, letting people keep their village wells sealed and clean. And I went to see this work. It inspired me, renewing my flagging faith in development charities. But travelling in Malawi refreshed another belief too, one I've been trying to banish all my life but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation, the rebirth 
is real, the change is good. I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practical work of mission churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package, but Christians, black and white, working in Africa, do heal the sick, do teach people to read and write, and only the severest kind of secularist could see a mission hospital or school and say that the world would be better off without it. I would allow that if faith... I would allow that if if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help, then fine, but what counted was the help, not the faith. But that doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It also transfers to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help observing. He goes on and talks about even when he was a child, the people working for his parents as African people were were different when they were Christians he he could tell and he's gone back and has said you know he's not a follower of Christ at this point in time but he can't help but be impacted with the changes that Christianity brings in people's lives look missions work is great and um, as I said I just want you to put in your diary October the 22nd and uh, there's a project in the northeast of Thailand that is just starting and what they invite us to do is partner with the churches in that area so we sponsor children in that area for those projects and as you may know Compassion's projects are only ever run by churches and I've seen it in operation and it's just fantastic um, where children are blessed given schooling and programs and activities on the Saturdays and then often they'll end up being born again and their families coming to Christ in the local church area Uh, But along the way, even if that doesn't happen, they're still helping the children get educated and and fed and and protected and clothed and blessed. Um, And so we'll uh, we'll look towards that day and uh, and invite everyone to consider sponsoring a child. The last thing I want to say about our... um, our calling to fulfil the Great Commission. Obviously, we want to reach out locally, we want to reach out globally, but the single most important thing we can do is to pray and worship God because when we come close to the Lord, he touches and changes our hearts. And it's not just about doing, it's about doing it right and being and being in the right mindset and the right motivation. And, and uh, you know, when we are praying to God, and we're spending time with him, it stirs our affections for him and limits the pull of the world on our heart. And and the influence that the world wants to have over us gets diminished. You know, spending time close to God limits the the, the temptations in the world to lure you away from the Great Commission. You can hear those ads on TV and you think, oh, yeah, maybe a new car, yeah. But it doesn't grab you and get the lust of the flesh going like I must have that shampoo or the car or the... You're just more inclined to be thinking, what does the Lord want? What is what is life really about? Because when you're praying and worshipping and you're close to God, you know what? It's hard to be selfish. It's very hard to to be tempted by the world and it's very hard to be dismissive of other people and their needs. In fact, quite the opposite, you, you get a bit weepy and teary about other people and, and you're compassionate towards them and you lose sight of your own needs and wants and you catch in sight of what God wants and what God needs and what other people need. I'll finish with a quote 
and a great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, once wrote this, perhaps if there were more of that intense distress for souls that leads to tears, we should more frequently see the results we desire. Sometimes it may be that while we are complaining of the hardness of the hearts of those we are seeking to benefit, the hardness of our own hearts and our feeble apprehension of the solemn reality of eternal things may be the true cause of our want of success. So when you go to pray, can I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit touch your heart and not just bring your shopping list and get it over and done with and expect God to just bear down on all your needs, but to let him soften and stir your heart for other people. Because you know what? Transformed lives are the best way for God to help transform other people's lives. And that's what he's wanting to do in us. And, you know, we were singing about jumping in the river and then we heard a prophecy about the river. And... uh that river of life that the scriptures talk about, I just read a couple of days ago, Ezekiel 47, the river that flows from the temple. And that's awesome. But that river isn't just for me. You know, it's not just the river of blessing for me. It's, it's not just for my sake, but for the Lord's purposes, yeah? And for other people. And so let's keep our eyes off ourselves and onto the Lord and onto the people who need him. And let's reach out locally and globally and let's take up the Great Commission. Because it's great. Amen? All right, let's pray and then we'll finish. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.